0: Well, good morning again. I must admit, uh, I just want to begin. I'll be very brief with a a sort of shameless uh, bit of publicity, if that's okay, Uh, but I'm sure you'll forgive me. Uh, I'm about to start back at Bible College again. Uh, I'm going to, back to Morlands College. I don't know if any of you know of Morelands. Um, lots of people in the area trained at Morlands. Chris Spracklin, a uh, good friend of mine, I know known to you, he trained at Morelands. I did my first uh, degree at Morelands. and I'm going back to do my master's degree in uh, biblical theology with preaching. Um, and I have some little invitations if you want to partner with me. And I know the cynics amongst you will think immediately that means money. Um, it doesn't really mean money. Um, there's a little uh, letter inside just explaining what I'm up to. Uh, and uh, really what I'm asking if you'd like to do is join my uh, sort of prayer letter um, Mailing list, if you would like to. There is an opportunity if you want to contribute towards fees, uh, you can do that, but please be sure that isn't the main purpose of the letter. Um, so uh, I did actually get my most cynical Christian friend to read it with me to make sure it didn't appear like that. So if you'd like to grab one of those, if you're interested afterwards, what I'm up to uh, at Bible College, again, and join my prayer mailing list, then I'll have some of these available at the end, and I do that to every church I'm going to at the moment. Uh, Well, in terms of being cynical, uh, I thought to myself today uh, I would uh, do a, a little favor for the young people, And that is, uh, I'm going to preach this morning the first half of a sermon. And then I'm going to preach the second half tonight. So if you want to know how this ends up, then you need to come back tonight to the youth-led service. Wouldn't that be good? Wouldn't that be good? So hopefully, uh, if you're in two minds about whether you're going to come or not, that might encourage you. And actually, what we're going to do over these two sessions is we're going to have a whirlwind tour Through one of my favorite books in the Bible, it's the book of Ruth. We're going to whiz through the first half of Ruth this morning, and we're going to whiz through the second half uh, this afternoon. I love the book of Ruth, not only because I'm named to a a beautiful lady called Ruth, uh, but also as well because Ruth, Ruth is like this diamond in the middle of some dirt. Let me explain what I mean. If you read through the scriptures in order, through the Old Testament, as if it were uh, a novel, I say that inverted commas, it's not a novel, of course, but if you're reading through in one sitting, you're looking through the storyline, and you're ignoring all the chapters and all the different books, and you start at Genesis 3, and you read through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and Joshua and Judges, all the way through from Genesis 3 up to the end of Judges, it goes in a linear order. This happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. Do you see what I mean? It's all in order. And that is broken for the first time in the book of Ruth. Because the book of Ruth actually stops and goes back into an earlier time. What do I mean? Well, the first verse of the book of Ruth says, In the days when the judges ruled well, we've just finished the book of Judges, if you're reading through. So you get to the end of Judges, and the beginning of Ruth says, oh, by the way, if you just go back into the book of Judges, this little story, this little event happened during the time of Judges. Do you see? It's what we might call a recapitulation. You go back in to where we just were. And the thing is, is that the book of Judges is is probably the most depressing book in the whole Bible. The book of Judges just represents an absolutely awful time in the history of the nation uh, of God's people of Judah. You see, if we just look in the book of Judges, just in a few places, I'm just going to pick out a few verses. Judges 3 verse 7 says this. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the bells uh, and the Asherahs. Okay, so they made a mistake. Well, what happens one chapter later in Judges 4, verse 1? Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Okay, well, some of us mess up twice. What happens in chapter 6, verse 1? The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Moving forward into Judges uh, chapter 10 and verse 6, what do we find happens here? Oh, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. The time of the Judges was an absolutely a calling time well you didn't really have a single nation at that point not just yet you had this loose confederation of 12 tribes of Israel and every time something went wrong someone was raised up but they seemed to get more and more inept and incompetent and even uh, just downright scandalous I mean it ends up with Samson and Samson's supposed to actually finish the job with the Philistines and what does he do he spends all of his time messing around with the Philistine women I was reading a story the other day in the newspaper. I thought it was an absolutely beautiful story. One of those typical stories you get in August uh, when you read the paper because there's nothing else to print, but it was, uh, it was beautiful. At the end of the Second World War, there was a gentleman who was going out to bat at his local cricket club in Berkshire, and he took his wedding ring off. He'd only been married three or four months. and He took his wedding ring off, and he put it on the side somewhere, and he went out to bat to his, for his team. And when he came back, his wedding ring was gone. It was nowhere to be seen. And it's a very distinctive wedding ring, because inside the band was en- engraved his initials, his wife's initials, and the date of their wedding. And it was lost. He never saw it Again. And in fact, his wife said to him, well, let's have another one. He said, no, I don't want another one. That ring was the special ring. And then this year, this very year, a lady was walking her dog in that same recreation field, and the dog did some digging, and she saw a sparkle in the dirt, and she picked out this ring. And she bumped into a fella who was walking his dog as well, and she said, look what I found. And it was the man's brother... And they knew it was the ring because it had the inscription inside. Isn't that a beautiful story? Isn't that beautiful? And the book of Ruth's a little bit like that. Because in the time of the judges, we've got real awful things going on amongst God's people. It looks like it's all going completely wrong, because back in the book of Genesis, in chapter 3, we read the incident where um, God says to the serpent, which is Satan, I'm going to raise up one, and he's going to strike your head, crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Talking about Jesus, the plan of salvation. And we're looking for the plan of salvation as we read through all those different books. As we go through the patriarchs, as we read about Abraham and Moses and and, and Joshua and all the great heroes of the Old Testament. We're saying, where's the plan of salvation? Where's the one that's going to rise up and crush the head of Satan? You read through Judges, you think it's all lost. It's all lost. Where's it all gone? It's just going wrong and wrong and wrong. And there in the dirt, there in the mud, we find this beautiful story, this beautiful truth, this this reality that happened, which is the book of Ruth, which is what we're going to spend uh, our time looking at today. And the book of Ruth largely falls into two sections, and it all pivots around, Chapter 2, verse 20, and that's where we'll get up to today. Chapter 2, verse 20 is where the whole story changes, because in the book of Ruth, it all starts off bad. It all starts off bad, and it seems to be going downhill and downhill and downhill and downhill. And we get to 2.20, which is where we'll end this morning, and we will start to go up to the good stuff. This evening. So, book of Ruth, chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, a spiritual famine, and there was an actual famine too. And a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the wife of his two sons were Malhon and Chilion. They were uh, Etherites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and they lived there. Now, this is a big change for these people. You've got this little family and they come from this place called Bethlehem in Judah. And we all know about Bethlehem, of course. And Bethlehem means when you translate it. And names are important in this chapter. We see that uh, later on from what Naomi says. Bethlehem means the house of bread. The house of bread. In Hebrew, that's what it means. Batter's house from the hammer's bread. So it's the house of bread. That sounds like a nice place. I can remember uh, one of my earliest memories was the baker's van coming to my grandparents' house. And the back doors opening up. And there you could smell the fresh bread as the baker delivered the bread. They are bygone days, aren't they? And where is Bethlehem and Judah? And what does Judah mean? It means praise. So these people, they came from the house of bread and Praise. And you've got this beautiful family because you've got this man who dies very quickly in the story. He's called Elimelech. And Elimelech means God is my king. And he's got this lovely wife and she's called Naomi. Uh, And Naomi is a beautiful name as well. uh, And Naomi means pleasant. So you've got God is my king and pleasant. And they come from the house of bread and praise. And doesn't that sound great? Doesn't that sound lovely? But things start to go wrong for them um, pretty early on in our little narrative here, because they've got these, they've got these two sons, and uh, they give their sons some, some funny names, really. The first name is uh, Malhon. And this son would have been born, and they'd have looked at him, and they would have thought, what should we call this son? We've just had a daughter. She was born in June. We called her Edith, and uh, she came out, and we thought, oh, she looks like an Edith. Well, they, they looked at this, ch- this child, and they thought, what should we call him? And they called him Malhon and Malhon means sickly. So, so God is my king, and pleasant, and they had this little boy, and they looked at him, and they said, does he look sickly? So they called him sickly, Malhon. And then they had another boy, and they called him Kilion, and that means puny. <laughs> puny. So, so they had sickly and, and, and puny. But well, it gets worse because of the famine in the land, they go down, uh, they, they, they have to leave the house of bread and praise, and they have to go and live elsewhere, and they go and live in a place called Moab. Now, Moab uh, is uh, where the descendants of, um, uh, of some of Lot's uh, descendants live. We won't go into it with young people here, but if you know the story, uh, Lot uh, uh, was got drunk by his daughters. And um, some unsavoury things happened, and and there we go. And we have these people here, and uh, we have a little reference. Uh, I had written it down, and I got I've got carried away now, and I can't find it. Uh, we've got a little reference. I think it's in. Let's have a look. Excuse me. Let me just find the reference in my notes to Moab. Um, if not, I'll just tell you about it. Oh yes, here it is. It, well, I was right. Psalm 108, verse 8. If you've got your Bible with you, turn to Psalm 108, verse 8, and you'll find a reference to Moab. Remember, this is the place where um, God is my king and pleasant went to live. And Psalm 108, verse 8 says this. Uh, David's writing, Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is my helmet. Judah is my scepter. Moab is my wash basin. Now that's that's a euphemism. That's polite. It means what it really means is Moab is my toilet. Moab is my toilet. Moab is is this is this abomination to me, says God. It's not a good place. So so God is my king and pleasant. Well, things there from the house of bread and praise in Judah, and then they have sickly and puny and. Then they have to go and move from the house of bread and praise to God's toilet. It's not good, is it? Things have gone wrong here. Okay, This was not life's plan. And then, to make it even worse, what happened to sickly and puny? Well, they die. I told you they were sickly and puny, didn't I? Sickly and puny die. Uh, Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, so he dies too. Uh, And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women named Ophrah and the other Ruth. After they lived there, about 10 years, both Malhon and Kilian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So Naomi is moved from the house of bread and praise to God's toilet. Her husband, God is my king, has died, sickly and puny. They have both died. But before they died, they had married Moabite women. So now she's got these daughters-in-law that are Moabites. And the the Israelites and the the, uh, Moabites, they didn't like each other. They had all sorts of reasons why they didn't like each other and lots of prejudices too. But you know what it's like? You you might have prejudices against people or a group of people. And once you get to know people one-to-one, things are a little bit different. My My father was of the generation where he just had a huge issue with people of colour. He had a huge issue with people of colour and he was always banging on about it and he'd sit in front of the television watching football and there'd be people of African descent playing and he'd be lecturing me about Enoch Powell and so on, you know, and, and, and on he was going about it. And as he was dying a the, the couple of weeks before he died uh, he was assigned, he had a brain tumour, he was very ill, and he was assigned a nurse to spend a lot of time with him at Bristol Hospital and this nurse came in and she was West Indian and I thought, oh my goodness, Dad, don't Say anything, please don't be rude. And you know, actually, right at the end of his life, my dad changed his opinions on those things because he got to know this lady, and she was very gracious and compassionate, and she was full of integrity and he got to know her, and his prejudices changed. Well, Ruth, uh, sorry, I beg your pardon, Naomi, uh, she got to know her daughters-in-law quite well, and they were called uh, Ruth, and they were called Ophir, and Ophir means fawn. She would have been this sort of beautiful uh, young lady, these big sort of probably doe, doe brownie eyes, and Ruth, well, Ruth is a hard one to translate, because Ruth is about intelligence, and about dignity uh, uh, and elegance, uh, and probably the best way of translating it is to use the old-fashioned word, in the old-fashioned sense, glamour. You know, Ruth, she's like, she's like Grace Kelly, or Audrey Hepburn, or Keira Knightley. Oh, I love Kahira Knightley, and she's just, she's just, she's just this beautiful, uh, this beautiful woman young lady. And I say that, you know, in all, in all, uh, in all sort of uh, dignity. Um, And uh, so the time comes and Naomi realizes there's nothing for me to stay for anymore in God's toilet. Uh, The famine's over uh, back home in Judah. It's time to go home. So she sets off to go home, then they uh, and uh, they all go together. They all go off together, and they would have gone along probably this big road called the King's Highway, uh, connecting Moab, and they would have got to uh, a join probably where they would go off. And then Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, "Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you, as you have to uh, that your dead and me—that's their husbands. May the Lord grant each of you." will find rest in your home and another husband. And she kissed them and wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. So both of them, Ruth and Ophir, both said, oh, we're going to go back. We're going to go back. And Naomi rightly says to them, look, why are you going to come back with me? You know, why are you going to come back with me? She has this little conversation. She says, I've got no more sons for you to marry. And Even if I got married tonight and I had a son, I got pregnant tonight and had a son in nine months' time, and then you're going to wait for him to grow up? before you. No, that would be daft. There's no point hanging around with me. There's nothing for you with me. And if you come back, you're Moabites, or or Moabiteses, if you come back to the house of bread and praise, people aren't going to accept you. They're not going to accept you. And, And Ophir... Uh, she, um, she accepts this and she says, okay, well, fair enough. It's good advice. And she, she kisses her goodbye. But Ruth, it says in verse 14, Ruth clung to her. And actually what you see here is, is possibly, I mean, it's very subjective. It's possibly the greatest love story in the Bible. This love story, this platonic love story between Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi. Because Naomi's right. There is nothing for Ruth with Naomi. There's no reason for her to come back. there would be no husbands for her. All there'll be for her is scorn. And yet Ruth is completely dedicated to her. And she says this beautiful thing. This beautiful, beautiful verse. And this verse that I'm going to read to you in a moment is sometimes used... When people, because people do occasionally, well I say occasionally, people do convert to Judaism. And uh, as an RE teacher, I was asked this question the other day, by, do you know, you have those sort of students and you think they're not paying attention to anything? And uh, it's this young man called Seb, and I'd just shown them, we were doing something on Judaism, and I'd just shown them a video of some people worshipping in a synagogue. And this lad sort of said the first thing he'd said since, you know, about four years, and he said a... He said, "Sir, he said, why, why weren't all those people in that synagogue proper Jews?" I said, "What do you mean, Seb?" And he said, "Well, one of them, one of them looked black." And I said, "Well, what do you mean?" And he said, "Well, if they were all descendants of Abraham, then wouldn't they look all the same ethnicity-wise?" And I said, well, so, Good point. So well then you actually watched something. That's that's excellent. But people people do convert to Judaism, and sometimes these words are used um, when people convert to Judaism. And by the way, there'll be no converting to Judaism this morning. Okay, so i make that abundantly clear. But you've got to remember the situation that Ruth was in. There was nothing for her to stay with Naomi other than her dedication to her mother in law. And this is what she says. She said, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her she stopped urging her did you notice how she converted she said my God will be your God I am going to completely dedicate myself to you to your people and your God and when we come to faith in Christ don't we say something similar in the presence of the church don't we That your people will be my people. One of the great joys in my life is visiting other churches. I get to go around to all sorts of different churches. And you walk into a church and you meet a group of people. Sometimes they're really pretty people, sometimes they're all right. Sometimes they're right. No, I'm joking. Yeah, you, you greet a group of people and you know that together we have this common bond that we're the same people because we are one in Christ. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful that you, we are of the same people? And it's nothing to do with our ethnicity. We're all Gentiles, you know, in the Old Testament sense. Well, we're just all Gentiles anyway. But uh, it's nothing to do with ethnicity. It's to do with the fact that we have bowed the knee and made the Lord our God, our God. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? So, okay, so it, the, the knot is tied. So they went back. They went back to Bethlehem and... Um, it sounds like they were a bit catty when they got back, the other women there, because in verse 19, they got back in. Remember, they'd been gone a while because it was 10 years before Sickly and puny died. And they roll back into town, and uh, all the women sort of look. And go, oh, can this be Naomi? Can this be hell? The years haven't been kind to her, have they? Is this her? Do you remember her? She had, God is my king. And they lived in the house of bread and praise. And they went to God's toilet and they had sickly and puny. And they died and they've come back. Can this be her? And Naomi says, don't call me Naomi. She tells them, call me Mara. This is how we know how important names are. We know how important names were in this culture. Because Naomi means pleasant. She said, don't call me that anymore. Things have changed for me. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty and has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi just, she wants to change her name. So I just want, you know, things are different now, okay? Things are different. And things are going to be different. Because even though we've got this little family circumstance... Going on in the time of the judges, which is this awful time in the history of God's people, God is about to do something quite incredible. You see, because the story of salvation is about to continue through the mundane, normal family life routine, it's through this little family, this little broken family, that God is about, or God is going to continue his plan for salvation. Do you ever feel that you go about your family life, uh, maybe as a child or as a parent or as a grandparent, and, and you go about doing the, the normal, routine, mundane, daily things, and you think, is this ever going to make any difference? Is this all that life is? Well, what am I doing for the Lord here? Why am I sweeping up Cheerios again? Why am I picking up toys and putting them away again? I was a little bit hard on time this morning. One of the reasons I was a little bit hard on time is I was sitting at the breakfast table with my family and I said to my eldest son, Edward, I said, Edward, can you put the top on the milk? And I was just about to say, before it goes on the floor. And Edward He's ten. He's getting a little bit bigger. He's not quite aware of himself, and he's getting a bit clumsy. And he picked at the top of the milk four, I finish, and bang, and six pints of milk, glug, 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 on the floor in the dining room. We've got floorboards and cracks going down so quick. Out comes the mop and mopping it up. And you just sit there for a moment. And you think, Lord, you help me respond graciously to my son, which I, I think I did, um, outwardly anyway. You know, and. Um, <laughs> And you rush off to preach, and you, know, you think to yourself, this "Is this ever going to make a difference? God worked through this family to bring about christ isn 't that wonderful? So keep going on, keep going on, going on, loving your family and you know and dealing with the situation that God has dealt you. And Naomi said, don't call me Naomi anymore, call me Mara, because God has made my life bitter. But God was working for the salvation of the world. And if you sometimes look around at the world around you, as sometimes we all do, and you think it's all going to hell in a handcart, if you excuse the expression. Everything seems to be going downhill. Everything seems to be getting worse and worse and worse. Just remember the testimony of the book of Ruth, that even in the dirtiest and darkest times... God can work through the simplest of situations to do the greatest things. So keep faith, friends. Keep faith in the sovereignty of God. I need to move on. So they get home and it's the barley time, it's the barley harvest. It's the barley harvest. And we'll whiz through quite quickly up to verse twenty. It's the barley harvest, uh, and that's quite important because, uh, well, we'll see in a moment. Chapter 2, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. So Elimelech, who died some time ago now, there, wa- there is a man called Boaz kicking around, and we're just told that as the reader. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up, pick up the leftover grain behind anyone who's, uh, whose eyes I can not find Favor now she 's not this may just seem like she 's sort of plucking something out of the air. can I go and to use a modern word scab some food no it 's not that at all. Uh, Ruth actually knows about she 's probably been told because she's not she 's a Moabitess after all the fact that God had a poverty program uh, for the people built into the law in Leviticus nineteen verse nine it says this talking to people who own fields when you reap the harvest of your land. Do not reap to the very edges of your field, or uh, or gather the gleanings of your harvest. So the gleanings were when the women, it normally was women, were passing through the field and getting the harvest together. There'd be a bit sort of left behind. Don't go and grab that. Leave that there, and leave a ten percent border around the side. Um, uh, and do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up grapes have fallen, leave them for the poor or the foreigner, I am the Lord your God. And what this meant was that people who were poor and unfortunate and fallen hard times, well, they could be fed. They didn't need to be any hungry people. But also as well, it wasn't just pure charity, it wasn't a handout, they had to go and work for it, they had to go and get it. Uh, so it sort of kept the dignity of the person as well. So ne- Ruth is saying that, look, I need to go and find a field, and I need to go and uh, pick up the gleaning so we've got something to eat. So Naomi says to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out to glean the fields behind the harvesters. And as it turned out, I love that little phrase, as it turned out, she found herself working in the field belonging to Boaz, who's in the clan of Elimelech. Now, if she didn't end up in the field of Boaz, then she wouldn't have met Boaz. <laughs> If she hadn't met Boaz, well, some of you know, some of you may not. We'll find out what didn't happen later on. It wasn't a coincidence. It was not a coincidence that Ruth ended up in the field of Boaz. It was the working of God. Don't ask me how it happened. I have no idea. I have no idea. I have no idea, when I look back now, how God led me to my Ruth, my wife. But I know full well that I wouldn't have done very little for the Lord if it weren't for the encouragement of Ruth in my faith when I was a teenager and beyond. God works like this. And you can just imagine Ruth going along the fields, looking in. Can I come gleaning in here? And maybe one of them, she was told, no, go away, you're a Moabites. We don't want anything to do with your sort. And this was the time of Judges. And if you read through Judges, there were some really pretty hairy incidents with young women and, and blokes. In, in the book of Judges, because it was dark times. The end of the book of Judges said, everyone just did as they saw fit in the eyes of the Lord. Maybe she looks in one field and the blokes are a bit leery. And I thought, I don't want to work in there. And she ends up in this field and they say, oh yeah, come on in. The foreman says, come on in. It's fine. You can glean. This is Boaz's field. Boaz, he's a good guy. He knows about Leviticus 19, verse nine. You, you, you come on in. And she's there gleaning. And, uh, and, the, and Boaz comes. And Boaz comes and he says to his uh, comes down and says to his uh, uh, workers, "The Lord bless you," he says in verse four, and uh, and they say, "Lord bless you." Back they call as Boaz turns up to his field and he comes in and he looks around and he says to his uh, foreman, he says, uh, whose young woman's that? Who, who's the girl?" He says in verse five. Oh, he notices her straight away. He's Who's she? The, the foreman replied, She's the Moabitess. who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me gather uh, glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. So she went into the field and worked steadily till now. So Boaz notices well, she's working hard. She's obviously quite pretty. And and he, he uh it, it says there how he says to her, Look, come and um come and uh, have a drink. If you want a drink, come and have a drink, and if you um Come over and have something to eat with us. So come and have a, a hot meal. And she does. She goes and has lunch with them. Now, there's nothing about, in Leviticus 19.9, about giving the women their gleaning drink and, and, and having a hot meal with them and so on. And uh, and actually, when she's had dinner, she uh, she asks him for a doggy bag. <laughs> she does. Because when she gets home in the evening, in verse 17... She says, Ruth gleaned in the field till the evening, and then she threshed the barley she gathered, and she amounted to about an ephah, and she carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she gathered. Ruth also brought out what he gave her as a leftover after she'd eaten. So she's got quite a lot of grain here, she's worked quite hard, and she's been fed, and she's been watered, and she's been given a doggy bag. Oh, Naomi, she can't believe what's going on here, she says. I mean, I know this is a house of bread and praise, but I wasn't expecting wasn't expecting this. Uh, Ruth 2.19 says, her mother-in-law asked her, where, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man that took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she'd been working, the name of the man I work with today is Boaz, she said. <gasps> the Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. That man is a relative of ours. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Well, if you want to find out what happens next, then make sure you come to this evening service won't you and we'll we'll finish it off but if you're not able to come to this evening service then can i just encourage you in the mundanity if you don't mind me using that word because you know we do all do have mundane parts of our lives i mean i've just enjoyed the holiday of an independent school teacher and i'm really ready to go back to work now i can tell you it's been nearly three months um and you know I'm sure come the first week in October, I'll be looking forward to the next holiday again when the mundanity kicks in. But in those everyday things, God is working. God is working. God was working in the muck and the mire of the time of the judges through a simple family to bring about his glory, his plan for salvation. Because Ruth was going to be the great, great grandmother of King David who was going to be in the line of Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? And as you look around, as you open your newspaper or flick on your iPad or whatever you do to get some news and you think, oh my goodness, this is not good. Well, just live out faithfully your witness for Christ where you are. Pray about the situations that you see, but live out faithfully your life for Christ where you are. Because who knows what God is doing for this generation and future generations through you right now. So we're going to sing, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. Because we do. Because even though the name of Jesus isn't mentioned in the book of Ruth, we do see his presence all through it. Because it's leading to him, it's orchestrated by him. And we just wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned clean. just while the band are getting ready i'm going to pray father we thank you for this beautiful heartwarming story not just a story lord a historical reality but it's been written down for us to enjoy we thank you for it lord we thank you for the encouragement that we see that even during the time of the judges and even through the most mundane situations you would work We thank you for the witness of the love between Ruth and Naomi, and as we go on see the love between Naomi and Boaz, and we thank you for the, uh, Ruth and Boaz, sorry, and we thank you for the reflection, a pale reflection, but a reflection in part, it is of your love between Christ and the church. We thank you that we are one in Christ. We thank you for one another. We thank you that we are your people, and the privilege that is. And so we sing your praises now as we stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. Amen.